Hello and welcome to another episode of the Roach Coach Podcast. My name is Lauren Kozlowski, here again solo, as I welcome you to part two of the Roach Coach Podcast Rockin' Pod Expo 2 episodes. This is the final episode uh, from the Expo floor. This week, you will hear our conversations with comedian Courtney Cronendold. We talk about her writing for Jamie Jast at the Roast of Corey Taylor. We speak to Tom Hazard, someone that I call the Forrest Gump of New Metal. We talk everything and anything new metal. This this guy's amazing. And uh, we also become best friends with Kenny Olsen of Kid Rock and Twisted Brown Trucker fame. Plus another appearance from Josh Toomey of the Talk To Me podcast. As always, you can find every episode of the podcast at roachcoach.com. Send us an email at roachcoachpodcast at gmail.com. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. You know the deal. Say hello. And uh, without further ado, let's go to the expo floor. All right, so uh, we are here with Courtney Cronendold. Courtney, welcome. Thank you for coming. Thank you. Um, and uh, you are a comedian. Yes. And your credits include Comedy Central Roasts? Oh, no. I've actually no. worked on every roast but the Comedy Central Oh, roast. okay. So you're doing roasts but not the Comedy Central I work roast. on okay. the other roasts uh, for Guitar uh, uh, Magazine and Revolver. And, oh, okay. Uh, I did those. And then um, I've written for a bunch of roasts. I wrote stuff for Gene Simmons Roast, a couple of the people on the on the dais. And, uh, and then I do a lot of, like, corporate, private. I don't know how I ended up doing that, but... Um, Money? Yeah. I, I mean, I... I, I <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I did Jeff Ross's first televised roast, which was uh, the roast of Carson Daly on MTV. Okay. So I worked on that. Okay. And then uh, that was the last time I did one of those. So, yeah, no, I don't do those. I'm a little old. I'm getting older now. I mean, we're all... We're all getting up there. We're all creeping. People think you get less funny as you get older, which I disagree. I think you become better at your craft. Yeah. You know, but like... In Hollywood, like I might as well be 87. Oh, jeez. Some, sometimes, sometimes. Um, so yeah, so you were saying that you, um, not a huge new metal person. No. But you did do some writing for Jamie Jast of Hat, uh, Hatebreed. I Hat, did. Or Hatbreed. 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 Yes. Uh, Hatbreed yes. is a terrible band, but yeah. Hatebreed is good. <laughs> um, yeah, they. Uh, he. <laughs> That, he really impressed me because I've written for a lot of non-comedians and mm-hmm. it is, you have to work with them and you have to try and get you know stuff out of them. It's almost like you're directing them um, to tell a joke because it's hard to tell a joke, you know? I mean, you guys know because you, you know it comes naturally, which by the way, I'm terrible at improv. I'm always impressed with people who are good at improv. Well, like, we're all bad at stand-up, so. Oh, yeah. see, it's, it's such yeah. a different, it's really, yeah. it's totally, a totally it's a different, different piece. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? Like, you guys are actors playing parts in situations, and we're just being ourselves, you know, like, yeah. trying to sound conversational. You know, it's, I mean, th- I think that that's one of the differences. Mm-hmm. Is like, um, I don't know, whatever. I think no, I, no I, know, I know what you mean, you know, though, yeah, because it, that the whole appeal for a lot of us is that you get to go up and make up some character you're not yourself. Right. And riff for 20 minutes or what have you. Right. But, yeah, the whole point of, I mean, yeah, being a comedian is that you, and the audience is hoping that you will be, like, this real person creating a connection. Exactly. They yeah. want to hear, like, what stuff that, that's relatable, and they want to know about you, mm-hmm. you know, and then there's some people that do, you know, other stuff, but... Um, but I'm always impressed with improv because I used to write for Wayne Brady. Oh, okay. And he's an incredible improviser. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I wrote um, song parodies for him on his talk show on the second season. And that was, that was part of my job. 
So I would sit there and agonize over a lyric. And Wayne would walk in and go, da 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 da. No, let's make it this. And I'd be like, son of a, I've been sitting here for 45 minutes, <laughs> like trying to like work this out. And Wayne would just walk in and just have it. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. and uh, and then he'd memorize things. He barely used the prompter. He could memorize everything. Oh, wow. And then if he forgot, he would make it up and it would still be great. Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow, wow, wow. So anyway, so Jamie mm-hmm. was on the roast of Corey Taylor, Ooh. Which, which was at the um, uh, Rock on the Range. Okay. And that was a good one. That was a good roast. Sebastian Bach was the roast master. Corey took it like a champ. Sebastian Bach did not. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that that computes. That computes. Those pretty guys, they get a little sensey. A little sensey. But uh, yeah. Savage animal. I guess he threw threw something at some point. Wow. I don't remember exactly, but uh, (laughs) but Corey is such a good sport. And uh, I wrote some stuff for Jamie, and Jamie came out, and he was like the bell of the ball. He like stole that show. Wow! Don't tell That's the comedian. Awesome. Don't tell Don Jameson and Craig. I said that. I love you guys. You're amazing. But J- Jamie was like really funny. He was the funniest non-rock star, I think. I mean, a non-comedian. Sorry. Oh, okay. Oops. No, he's a full-on rock star. Non-comedian. <laughs> non-comedian. But uh, yeah, and he riffed stuff. He made stuff up, and then he told the audience. He goes, "I just made that up," and it, that got a laugh <laughs> that too. Got a laugh too. <laughs> I mean, he was great. Oh, that's wonderful. Um, so what? Uh, you have a comedy show tomorrow here? We do, at okay. Zany's here in okay. Nashville. Cool, cool. Craig Gass is headlining, and Errol Skakel and I are splitting the feature spot. We're doing equal time, and and it'll be fun to perform to an audience uh, of people who are like us, mm-hmm. you know, because there's so many things that we all want to talk about on stage that we have jokes about that we do on podcasts. Yeah, right. We can't do in a club. They just tank so hard, mm-hmm. Yeah, you know? Yeah. Oh, um, boy, yeah. What? Yeah. You had mentioned, yeah, so you have a podcast called, I'm, what is it called again? Pop. Pop. I'm on Pop with Ken Mills. Okay. Ken Mills is the guy down there who's literally talked to every single person here. Oh, wow. <laughs> he That's is, some work. He is such a great guy. Have you guys met him yet? We have not. We have not. You got to meet him before you leave. They okay. call him the pod father. Whoa. Yeah. He's okay. a lot of the reason why a lot of these people are here. Oh. Yeah. Okay. He's got a lot of these podcasts started. He was one of the first guys to do this. And um, and he's a really terrific person. And he's the mo- one of the most generous people I've ever met. All right. So. Well, we'll have to talk to Ken for yeah. sure. Yeah. So and- the po- I'm on his podcast. Okay. One of the four. He has four. And what do you, what do you guys cover on your show? Um, we just do pop culture. Mostly stuff from like the 70s okay. and 80s. Okay. Like we kind of get, you know, a little bit, you know, before my time. But... Uh, but it's still really fun. And basically, Ken comes up with a concept. We just do whatever. He has Cheap Talk, Podkist, and the Monkeys podcast, Zilch. So he's he has to talk about those exact things. And on Pop, we just do whatever. Mm, it's basically yeah. potpourri. Just yeah. whatever we want. We have we bands. Get to relax we have TV. We have, yeah. We did a Love Boat episode. That was my favorite. Oh, um, wow. Love that show. That's awesome. So yeah. where can people check you out? Where can they find you? Well, you can find me uh, on... Facebook at Courtney Cronin Dold. It's D O L D, and I'm. I think I'm gonna get rid of Twitter. What do you guys think? Are you uh, we're hot it? and cold on it. It's good if you want to engage in a conversation, I but from promotion, I it is you. hot garbage. Yeah, a lot yeah. of the time, yeah, you're just sort of yelling into the void. But yeah, on a personal level, I enjoy it. I enjoy but, reading it. Yeah, but I'm also it. I'm a man on Twitter, so I'm fine. I can say whatever I want, and nobody cares. But yeah. you know, yeah. so that's I'm well aware of that. Your White son. guy on Twitter. That what? should be the name of your comedy album. 
Courtney, thank you so much. Thank for you so much, thank you Courtney. Very much. Thank you. Thank you, guys. We're going. All right, we are here with Tom Hazer. Tom, how are you today, sir? I'm good, man. I just went from Green Bay, and boy, are my arms tired. There we go. <laughs> and uh, Tom, Dad so joke. <laughs> in, uh, uh, I, you were described to me as sort of like the man in the '90s who was in the thick of everything. You, I, if, I, if a yeah. band was going around, you were like helping them out and promoting them. Yeah. Well, you know, it, it's funny because it's like, look, I grew up in the '80s. But it's funny, I've kind of it's kind of come full circle. Now I work with David Ellison, and we have EMP and Combat, and do you know, and, and we do like Mark Slaughter and Ron Keel, and, and and but I really, where I cut my teeth, I, I was born in '75, so like the early '90s, like the first Corn record changed my life. Like I moved to LA, got an internship at Immortal. Oh wow! And yeah, so I mean, I worked on you know the first couple of Corn. I I was interning at Immortal when Follow the Leader came out, when Incubus. I was in the studio with Incubus when they were making Make Yourself. You oh, know wow. I mean? It was like I was in the studio with Linkin Park when they were making Hybrid Theory. I used to stand in Hollywood and hand out flyers with Chester for Linkin Park. You know what I mean? I I, you know, managed Slaves on Dope at one point. I worked with, I did A&R for Jive kind of in that period, too. I brought them Papa Roach five years before they were signed. Yeah, maybe three. It was when kind of the, it was after old old friends from young years, but it was like that it was before it was like the, the CD that Revenge in Japanese and stuff on it, and you know, and yeah, I brought it to Jive, to my boss, Michael Tedesco and he, he said, Tom, out of all these bands that are out, this is the band, I said, yes, this band is going to be bigger than everybody, he wanted to sign Relative Ash I wanted to sign Papa Roach Smart. I, think, I think I won that uh, one you yeah, won. I think I won that you one uh, yeah, we did <laughs> the relative, face, we did the Relative yeah. Ash album, none of us had ever heard it before it had been, our listeners told us it was like Deftones None it's of like watered down third rate. I, I like Relative Ash, and they're actually really cool guys, and I'm friends with a lot of them now. So I hate to talk, but again, there was that whole third wave of Def clones, them, and I mean, there was just a bunch, man. That was all the labels after Corn and the Deftones and everything broke. Everybody was trying to sign a band like the Deftones. There was right. like that weird period. And again, and that's when I, you know, I managed Switched and got them signed. I don't know if oh, you ever, but yeah, they've been recommended to us. Like yeah, yeah, a brilliant fucking record. And okay. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, Switched and a band called Erase the Gray who on Universal. I, I managed Chimera and got them signed oh, to Roadrunner. Okay. All right. You know, so yeah, I mean, and, and we did marketing. I had a marketing. I'm sure you guys remember the Street Team. Oh, oh shit! Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Well, basically, I started that whole insane bullshit. Like, I, you know, I, you know, did. Basically, I started the Flip Record Street Team, you know, for Limp Biscuit. So I was talking to Fred. I'm like, dude, what we? And this was this was like an AOL, you know. The uh-huh. whole street lifestyle marketing new metal thing started with me and a bunch of my friends in AOL corn chat rooms, talking about the Deftones and Human Waste Project and you, you know the and <laughs> oh, Cold man. Chamber and the you're other. Hitting, yeah. You're hitting yeah. all our buttons yeah. right now, man. Let me tell you, uh, dude. I have a Cold Chamber tattoo. Come oh on. my God, you do. <laughs> you do. That's well, awesome. I had we had I have to a notice. Cold you got the Cold tattoo yeah. Yeah, well, on your hand. Well, I worked for Flip, and, and okay. I, I guess I was kind of getting there. So, but so I, t- I, I was, you know, I, I befriended Limp Bizkit early on. Well, you know, honestly, that first tour they did with Corn, it was Corn, Limp Bizkit, and Delinquent Habits. I kind of befriended Corn, you know, Fred. And I go, dude, let's do a street team thing. Let's do, you know, and I kind of explained it to him what I wanted to do. And, and again, street teams weren't anything new. They'd done them in hip hop for decades. Yeah. 
But really, what we did was brought the internet into it, you know, which was AOL at that point in time, you know. Right. So I, I, I said, Fred, let's do this. I remember this call. Me, Fred Durst, and Jordan Schur were on a three-way call, and Fred goes, we're going to start a street team. Tom's going to run it. Jordan Schur said, no, we're not. Fred said, yes, we are. Okay. And we did. So I started the flip street team. We built like 50,000 kids. And that's really what broke. And it's funny. I think the quote's actually on my Wikipedia. Someone put it there. But Jordan credits that street team with breaking, you know, a lot of Limp Bizkit success and cold and stained. And, and I did. I worked really closely on, you know, that first Limp Bizkit record, the, you know, on the first stained record, Dysfunction. I mean, I remember when Stained first got signed and Flip sent me, like, demos of, you know, stuff from the record before it came out. I'm like, God, this band is going to be huge. Yeah, and yeah, I saw Stained open for Kid Rock at the Roxy. I saw him playing a church in Santa Barbara for five people. Again, and then Cold kind of came with that package. I befriended those guys when the very first record had just come out. And... You know, and again, really was involved with Cold, especially on the first two records. You know, by by Year of the Spider, they were pretty fucking mainstream and big. Yeah, already, yeah, yeah. But, You know, the first record, 13 Ways to Bleed on stage, I was really... And then years later, I had my own label, Corporate Punishment, and Kelly Hayes had a band called Allele. That was amazing, and we put that record out. And again, that was a really new metal... I mean, it's just a great... Like, if you guys have never heard that record, Allele, Point of Origin find it you'll love it. I mean it's okay it's honestly it's like cold but heavier and I mean it's fucking a great record Jenny you are a known cold critic what is it cold oh, but thank heavier thank you I think that Lauren you get the trophy for throwing me under the bus <laughs> I'm sorry the I just I just want to be well you mean you know uh, I would like to hear a heavier cold yeah yeah it really is it's like look I love Kelly Hayes and in cold I mean look he really was brilliant in that band but he was kind of limited to the context of the band, you know, and that band, it was him and actually Lane, who was the original guitarist for OTEP, were the two guitar players in the band. Oh, okay. So, again, it kind of had a little bit of that, you know, extra, that Cold never quite had. Th you know? That was that was always kind of the mystery for us, as, like, Cold is lumped into the new metal genre, well, but they don't have that, that extra chunk. Honestly, that, that just, everything was then, and really... Uh -huh. A lot of that just kind of, you know, I hate to say it, came down to Jordan and the street team and all this stuff. That was just, oh, well, we can market it to these. And, and again, Fred Durst uh -huh. discovered cold. Yeah. They were under his wing. He was kind of behind mm -hmm. it. So, again, I mean, they marketed it to the Limp Bizkit fans. They already had this existing conduit. Right. And they just used it. So, I mean, look, they didn't really fit, but they kind of fit close enough. You right. Know? Yeah. I mean, you know, it's funny. When I, honestly, when I first heard the first cold record, I'm like, wow, this sounds like Bush. You know, I really, yeah. that's what I thought. And then eventually that kind of melted away, and I really appreciated it for what it is uh -huh. on its own. But I'm really, and I, first, I mean, honestly, when I first heard it, I was not like, this is the greatest thing I've ever heard in my life. I'm like, okay, this sounds like fucking Bush. <laughs> Apparently people forgot Bush already, and this is it. <laughs> but I grew uh, to appreciate them for what they were, and I, I love Colt, you know? Uh, let me ask you this. So you were uh, there for the first Olympus get there. So you had, I assume... I'm actually in the first... I'm in the original counterfeit video. Me and Sendog moshing in a fucking basement. Whoa. Olympus gets <laughs> playing. I go there, the first Olympus video ever. I was like the professional video extra. I am in the Angel's Sun video. I worked with Snot. Too. Oh. Lynn, oh, my God. Lynn, wow. Lynn was one of my best friends. He's tattooed on my leg. But yeah, I did a lot of stuff on the first Snot record. And uh, yeah, so I'm in the 
the Limp Bizkit counterfeit video. I'm in the Angel Sun video, which was amazing. It's a beautiful and video. And one of the saddest fucking days of my life, man. Yeah. Like, we can talk yeah. about that in a minute. But yeah. And then I'm in the stained mud shovel video. Oh, oh shit. Wow. Like, like, I am just like the weird 2000s, 90s video extra guy. You're the you're the Forrest Gump of new metal. You are at <laughs> am, all of the I moments. I am. I, I want I want to ask this then. Please. Are you mentioned in Indigo Flow? Nope. Because I met them after the record was made. Ah. Unfortunately, I think I'm thanked in significant other though. I'm pretty sure. Okay. See, look, I'm in the first Papa Roach record. But then I don't know if you guys remember a website called Loudside. It was basically Blabbermouth before Blabbermouth. Okay. But it was basically, I mean, honestly, it was the new metal Blabbermouth. And Blabbermouth didn't exist at the time, but I ran that website. Okay. So it was me and my partner, Eric, and we moved out to LA. And it was so funny. I remember one year we did these awards called the Loudside Awards. We did this little ghetto movie theater in Hollywood. But believe it or not, in this little sketchy movie theater on Hollywood Boulevard, System of a Down was there. Edema was there. And that was when they were still in Juice. That was before they were even in it. I helped Edema get their record deal, too, actually. I wow. Managed, I managed Video Drone and uh, okay. And, and you are you are naming like yeah. th th this basically is every band we've yes. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. I am like I should probably be your fourth host. <laughs> <I'm sure. laughs> you might like, be. Please. We mean, Tom, please weigh in. <laughs> <laughs> but no, so I managed Video Drone. Like after they got dropped from Elementary, we worked. We did a lot of marketing stuff. So after Loud said we had a company, we changed into Loud said Total Assault, and we did all the street team stuff. We did like Crazy Town, we did Nine Inch Nails, we did, it wasn't all new metal again, mm -hmm. kind of, then, you know, all the other, you know, Chris Cornell and Nine Inch Nails, and we did the Bloodhound Gang, and all, all the other kind of more mainstream rock kind of started jumping on the street team, you know, marketing thing too. But, God, where, where, what were we talking about? Oh yeah, video drum. So yeah. we worked the video drum record, they got dropped from, from reprise from elementary corns label and uh so i started managing them. i was shopping them for a new deal me and chris coles who became the drummer for edema and i remember me and chris were driving to a meeting with a lawyer about other deals for video journey he goes dude you know dave drew just called me he's doing a new band with jonathan's little brother marky and they want me to play drums and i said dude go do it we went to this meeting with the attorney and we were talking about it. Three weeks later, they had a deal. They had a deal, and edema was a thing. Yeah. They were literally just jamming, trying it out, and then literally within three weeks, they did demo two songs, I think. Within three weeks, they had a deal, and it was a huge deal. Wow! And they were just huge. Man, oh man! Forrest Gump. Forrest, you really? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I want. I, I. It's so you're in there all that. I want to know, as someone who I think, for the first time in my life, I can truly say is like. A new metal expert, yeah, you I, sir. I, what do you consider the best new metal album? God, that's so hard. You know what? The thing with the new metal term, and you know it's funny. I, I mean, when you know the new metal term came around, people like me and my friends in the industry, we actually made up that term as kind of a disparaging term for the bands like Shovel, for the bands like Relative Ash, who are these kind of third-generation Deftones bands. Mm -hmm. And then it just caught on. And then people started using it as a disparaging thing for anything that came out between 1997 and 2005. Yep. You know what I mean? So mm -hmm. like, but it's just such an all-encompassing term. You know what I mean? So it's yeah. like, that's such a loaded question. I mean, look, the rec I, you know, Follow the Leader was amazing. I mean, look, as far as Corn Records, I'm honestly... I think Life is Peachy is probably my favorite corn record. Okay. And that's probably because I worked on it and I was there and I was around when the, 
But just that to me felt like the height of corn. They weren't huge yet, uh-huh. but they were getting there. Oh, I yeah. was there and got like I, I I saw them open for Cam FDM on that tour. <laughs> wow. Well, it's, it's funny because I, I work with David Ellison from Megadeth now. The first time I saw corn was opening for Megadeth, and there was like five bands on the bill. It was like corn, Fear Factory, Flotsam and Jets, or Megadeth, Fear Factory, Flotsam and Jetsam, and Corn. Corn is the first band on a four-band bill. Jenny, you are oh. a giant Megadeth fan. I do, really? I do. Oh. Yeah, I like Megadeth quite a bit. Oh, there you go. More than cold. Um, yes, more than cold. You know, Brad, I just said they sound like fucking Bush. <laughs> I, you know what? I'm gonna be honest with you. I like Bush too. I love Bush. I'm I all over the place. I, we I, listened I to too. Bush on the way here, and that's not a fucking joke. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, dude, I, I, I honestly, I love Bush. I'm a I'm really man. I grew up in the '80s, transitioned into the '90s, and then you know, kind of got in the business in the late. You know, I'm 43, so literally. 18, 19, 20 for me was kind of the early to mid 90s, you know? So I really kind of got to experience every period. You know, the 80s, you know, the first record I owned was Quiet Riot, you know, and Twisted Sister and Quiet Riot. And then I got into the 80s metal thing and then kind of transitioned into the grunge thing. And then, you know, and then again, discovered all this. And really, I still haven't, I I spent 15 minutes and I still haven't answered your question. Um, It's a new metal record. It's a tough one. It really is. I don't know. There's so many. Look, I love Around the Fur was kind of a life-changing record mm-hmm. for me. Yep. I tell you, the best, one of the best moments I've ever had in my life, Stephen Carpenter had a period when he moved to Hollywood from Sacramento, and I went over to his house one day, and this was like maybe six months before White Pony came out, and he goes, dude, I got the new record. You want to hear it? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> so he got me stoned as fuck. Like, and you got to keep in mind, in L.A., Guys in L.A. don't smoke normal weed. And I just moved to L.A. from Wisconsin like a year or two prior. Uh-huh. Like in L.A., you know, Cypress Hill and all these guys, and they all get their weed from the same guy. It'll kill you. Like it's not normal. <laughs> this is not your dad's weed. This okay. Is, so I got stoned out of my mind, and, and, and Stephen played me White Pony. Digital bath almost fucking killed me. Like literally. <laughs> imagine. <laughs> and the thing is here, I was, you know, I'd known Dev. I met them before, before Adrenaline came out. I met... Actually, I gave Corn, and me and Brian had, we're just talking about this the other day, and it's actually, me and David Ellison are writing a new book called More Life with Death, which is the follow-up to his last one, and there's actually a little thing in there about Corn, and, and Brian wrote a little thing, and David wrote a little thing, and I wrote a little thing, talking about how, you know, Megadeth took Corn out on their first tour, and they were all starstruck by Megadeth and, and, and that thing, and... And I wrote a thing, and they're talking about how I saw that tour, and then I worked with Corn, and now I work with David, and now we're working with Brian, and it's this big, full circle thing. Yeah. But I mean, it really, was, again, that whole cycle was so cool. But so, but I mentioned there that I gave Corn, I used to write for Circus, and Corn's first major like magazine interview thing was in Circus, and I wrote it. But I went to see Corn and Depp. That's how I got to this. Corn and Deftones opening for Ozzy on oh. on his retirement tour in, <laughs> sure. yeah, in 1996. <laughs> so, 95, got whenever it was. But so it was Deftones, Corn, and then Ozzy. And this was at the tail end of the first Corn record cycle and maybe three, four months before Adrenaline came. So I met them then and kind of became friends with them. But Still, I became a huge fan, so it was still a kind of a fanboy moment sitting there with Stefan, hearing the new Deftones. The Deftones were my favorite band at the time by far, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, 
they really just stepped up their game on around the fur and oh, yeah. by white pony they were White Pony, probably. That's probably the answer to your question. Oh, it took okay. me all of that to get around. Okay, hey, probably yeah. White. But I mean, look, yeah. hybrid theories, brilliant. I mean, Chester was a brilliant rider. Yeah, Shinoda's a brilliant rider. I mean, I really, you know, the first Papa Roach record's great. I, and you know, honestly, switch subject to change. I know I worked on that record, but I, I mean, it's really again, it's funny. There's some of those bands, you know, there, you know, I don't want to name any names, but there was a lot of bands that came out of that time. That some got really, really, really huge, and some didn't, and it still kind of boggles my mind sometimes. Some of the bands that are still around that came out at the same time, some were honestly, I think, far superior bands, mm -hmm. you know, that didn't play. But, you know, Switch was huge for a minute. I mean, they were on, you know, we made a $500,000 video with Gregory Dark, and it was on MTV and rotation, and, you know, and I'm, they actually, this is a funny story, but, uh, you know, when I kind of started managing bands, I said, look, the first two record deals I want to do are going to be with Immortal and Roadrunner because those were the two my two favorite labels, Corn yeah. and Roadrunner. You know, yeah. the first deal I did was Switched on Immortal, and the second deal was Camira on Roadrunner. So, but yeah, that Switched record, I mean, like Immortal, was kind of the tail end. They weren't really the same label they were, you know, during the Urge and Corn and Incubus and Far and the stuff that they did. Mm -hmm. You know, they. Kind of, kind of been some regime changes. It was just a different distribution, and, but but again, so they just kind of dropped. The, but the Switch record's really, really good. And we did a another record later. The stuff that was supposed to be their second record were just demos they made. But Corey Lowry played on it. He was in the band at that oh, point. Okay. And uh, yeah, it's funny. Switch. The guys in that band went on to do huge stuff. I mean, Chad Zaliga played in Breaking Benjamin for however many years. Oh wow. Their okay. Huge periods. Very Diary of Jane. Yeah. And, Brad Kochmit, and now he's a non-point, but oh. he was in Dark New Day, and he filled in for Clint and Seven Dust when oh, he was wow. out. I mean, okay, yeah. I mean, it's funny. The guys from that band, and you know, and Chad. Now he's in Breaking Benjamin. He was in Black Label Society. Now he's in Black Star Riders. I just saw him opening for Judas Priest in Black Star Riders six months ago. So funny, man. For a, a band that kind of didn't really do a lot, all the guys individually from the band all went on to huge success and other stuff and it's just kind of a testament I think to how great of a band they were you know yeah absolutely but you don't know because you've never heard them but now you have a new recommendation wait, wait, I, prom yeah. I promise is, you will love it this is uh, yeah because we get we get a lot of emails and stuff and people will send us like lists of albums Switched has come up a lot and so I definitely I mean yeah we'll definitely do have it you guys ever show. heard the Ghost Machine record we put out Ivan from Five Finger Death Punch I don't think so I don't believe so no. Ivan from Motor Grader whoever. but yeah, yeah after Motor Grader Ivan did this record called Ghost Machine that we put out on Corporate Punishment. And it was like, almost like a, kind of like, imagine, and I don't know how you guys feel about Five Finger Death Punch, you know what I mean? I don't know. How, how do you feel about Five Finger Death Punch? Um, you on the spot. I, Why are you looking at me? I'm trying to remember, because <laughs> they were, the, oh, the, the the guy from Five Finger Death Punch, he was in, he was the lead singer of Motor Grader. Yeah. 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 Um, I think it's a little too bro-y for me. Yeah, it is a little. You yeah. know, I'll tell you this, the first record, I thought there was some really great stuff on it. And then it just got super, super bro-y. Yeah. But, but he did this record in between, and it was honestly, it was more industrial. It kind of sounded like, imagine Five Finger Death Punch minus, like, Sans Bro, okay. but with, like, programming and, like, a really cool Nine Inch Nails-y, almost electronic, Stabbing Westward vibe to it. Well, now yeah, you're it, talking about yeah, language, I mean, Stabbing really, Westward. Yes. Yeah, I mean, okay. honestly, I, I think you probably love this, if that... Okay. Description. Yeah. Uh, really, you should, you should check it out. You've They're given really us a record. lot to check out. Uh, one, uh, I don't want to keep it too much longer. Oh. I guess I've got. 
Yeah, I could talk. Do you got any? Do you have any questions, Jenny? I, you know, I am wondering. So you said that you sort of started the whole street team thing for rock bands. What was it? And I know you said that you were all over AOL, as were we for sure. What was it that made you sure that that was the way to go? I mean, or I, made you sure enough to like push for it? It was all totally an accident, man. I was a 19-year-old kid trying to find my way in the music business, and I was friends with all these bands who were I loved and I knew were revolutionary and groundbreaking and hadn't quite caught on yet. I didn't know. It just seemed to click and make sense. And, you know, and there was other companies, Streetwise, and these other companies that did it. And look, I, I mean, Streetwise, the first System of a Down record came out two years after the Limp Bizkit record. So obviously, the timeline there, obviously we did it long before them, because the first record Streetwise ever did was the first System of a Down record, you know? So, but look, it was, I have no idea. I mean, it was really just, it was all accident. I just wanted to push my friend's bands, and somehow I turned it into a job. You know, I didn't know. Again, I was a 19-year-old kid in Wisconsin going, what can I do? You so know? all of this that you started was in Wisconsin. Yeah, I started doing all this stuff in Wisconsin. And then like a warrant video, I got on a Greyhound bus with $40 in my pocket and moved to L.A. And I was like, okay, now what? You know? And actually, it's funny. I moved there because Flip offered me a job. I got there, and the job didn't actually exist. I mean, I still ran the street team stuff and did all of that. But, I mean, they offered me an actual job with actual money and I got there and it did not exist so I was kind of fucked and I had to just think on my feet and figure it out and again I fell into a lot of really cool stuff and a really there's a really vibrant scene there in LA man even you know there's a bit like audio event you guys remember audio event um, I think they've been recommended to us uh-huh. I feel like I, I feel like basically anytime somebody recommends yeah, something been, basically I'll, I'll... audio event uh-huh. the blueprint for make yourself by Incubus uh huh was audio it's okay the guys make you his little brothers okay yeah it's, all right uh, it's mike Ein- ben einzinger's little brother or mike einzinger's little brother ben and uh not one of the other guys it's their little brothers okay and i actually kind of ma- they were called vent and i kind of managed them a little bit and helped shop them around a little bit but they were great man that whole you know obviously incubus made a pretty big stylistic change from science to make yourself yeah and i honestly i say this all the time that I think that was really influenced by what Audio Event was basically doing a more emo rock version of Incubus without all the funk and all, all the weird stuff. Okay. And that sounds surprisingly a lot like Make Yourself. You know what I mean? It really, <laughs> yeah. you know, again, they, it was kind of like Incubus without all the funk and without all the, you know, oh, yeah. which I love. I mean, you know, another really funny little quick Incubus thing. I did. I remember I did an interview with Bill Gould from Faith No More, like in the 90s when Science had just came out. And I was like, dude, you have to check out this band, Incubus. They're so Faith No More influenced. <laughs> but I remember telling Bill Gould about Incubus, and he had no idea who they were. Like, no clue. So. Oh, man. Um, Matt, did you have anything else? Um, you know, um, just want to make sure I'm respectful of your time, but I'm fascinated by the street team yeah. element and how it kind of the parallel to where we are now right like we draw the straight line out we're a podcast here you know we grew up we're all from the detroit area so we grew up we watched icp and kid rock fucking do it like even if i'm not a fan you cannot cannot deny what either of them i I personally think kid rock is fucking brilliant i think it's a brilliant entertainer you know when it when he first came out, you know, it's funny. I didn't like Kid Rock. You know, I didn't. Right. And oh, and later, I really, like, I fucking love it. Like, Devil Without a Cause is one of my favorite records ever. I mean, it's fucking brilliant. And 
in retrospect, seeing the brilliance of it, what he did, and his hustle, and how he did it, like, fuck, you know? So what advice would you give now to people that are trying to do it? Because, I mean, we see your labels out there. You're working it. I mean, you never fucking stopped. I don't. I like, well, you know, there's been a couple hiatuses. It's funny, man. Everything's so cyclical. Yeah, I mean, look, this is, you know, like my fourth or fifth label. I mean, we had Corporate Punishment, and then I had THC, which, you know, it's funny. I mean, we did Primer 55, The Big Fuck You, which was all of the demos from Introduction to Mayhem. We mm-hmm. released that. Yep. And then I helped American Head Charge get back together, and I did their first EP, and I produced their first EP that oh. they did back together when they oh. got back together. All right. And I actually kind of executive produced... Tango Umbrella. You know, they I, they went to my studio that I work at in Kentucky to record it. And I, again, so there's all these different chapters that just kind of I get bored and take a little time off, and then it comes back. And but it's funny, there's all these different chapters of my career. Mm-hmm. As far as what I tell other people, uh, you, you mean bands or people trying to be in the business or just in general? I would say like, don't fucking give up, man. That's it. I mean, just bust your ass. Expect to make nothing. Eat shit and. Work as hard as you <laughs> fucking can and do it because you believe in it because that's really all there is, man. You know, Perfect. that's yeah. the, like since I was eight years old, I'm like, this is what I'm going to do. And here I am, and I still do it for some God unknown to me reason. Uh, my last question. Um, so I don't know. Are you at all in contact with anybody from Limp Bizkit now, Fred or anybody I'd in any capacity? A couple of years ago, I actually put out one of the Blacklight Burns records. So okay. I kind of hung out with Wes a little bit. Okay. You know, on, God, this is a, we're going to have to do another thing, like seriously, later or over the phone or whatever, but you know, I have the great... I'll tell it real quick. Fuck it. So this was around when they were making Significant Other. I okay. went over... Me and Fred and Jordan Schur and my partner from outside, we went out and had breakfast at Swingers. And then after we went back over to the Limp Biscuit was all living in this big rented mansion together when they made Significant Other. And uh, so we all went back over there, me, Jordan, Elijah Blue Allman was there for some random reason. Yeah, isn't and, that uh, always the thing? Yeah, he, Why is always, Elijah Blue here? Like, hi, I don't know. Deadsy, man. I, but, but yeah, so, <laughs> we're, so but we're, gonna, we're all going to go over to NRG and go listen to the mix of the Significant Other. Fred, you remember the fucking Faith video? He had that dog. It was like a pug. Yeah. A yeah. tiny little fucking dog. Well, we were leaving, and it was one of those fucking dogs. You go to somebody's house, every time the door opens, the dog makes a mad dash for the fucking door. Yeah. That was Fred's dog. So we're going to leave. We open the door. The dog runs out the fucking door, and Fred goes, what the fuck are you doing, man? Go get my dog. I just looked at him like, are you fucking talking to me? Hey, guys, man, Fred's this big. I'm <laughs> six foot. I'm pretty generously sized man <laughs> and I just looked at him for a second and I thought so my partner Eric is running out the door trying to catch his dog I run after him it was fucking comical it was like a mm-hmm. Laurel and Hardy bit we're running around the street trying to catch this fucking stupid dog we finally grab it give it back to him and I get in Fred's face and I'm like so and I literally almost got in a fight with Fred Durst I went through I literally was in his face he was down here at my neck and I'm like I don't think he had his lift tennis shoes on that day. And uh, <laughs> so we almost, and, and I didn't talk to him for a couple of years after. A couple of years later, I was on tour with Cold and Jerry Cantrell. And uh, we went to Family Values in New Orleans, and they were playing. And I saw Fred, and we smirked at each other and laughed, and that was kind of, but, you know, you know, again, he kind of, his ego had inflated. He wasn't right. the same guy anymore. Yeah, yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? It's, and I'm sure now he's different than Rob. You know, Wes was always cool. Sam was always cool. All the other guys in the band were always 
fucking cool and stayed cool. And mm-hmm. I've always had a cool relationship with Wes. And I produced a documentary a couple of years ago. Wes was in it. And, you know, so again, I have a pretty cool relationship with him. Like I said, we put out one of the Black Light Burns records. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so yeah. that's my limited exposure to Limp Biscuit now. Okay, yeah, because um, yeah, we're. I mean, Wes is my dream guest for the really? show. Like, we really want to get, and he lives in Detroit, so it's sort yeah, of like. Well, I'll see if I can help. I can probably help make that happen. Okay. Okay. Great. Um, thank you, Tom. Thank you so thank much. Thank you so much for being on the show for so, speaking with us. Oh, yes, Jenny. So Josh Toomey just walked up and Hi, pointed Toomey. out. I have been on the show vocally not wanting to listen to cold so i've been getting shit all day <laughs> that you're going to be mad at me that i don't I, like I, cold but it can, seems can like, i be totally honest i i actually think scooter ward is a giant fucking douchebag and i <laughs> hey I, I you know here's the thing I, i'm gonna tell this story really quick and i've never told this story publicly ever here we go so about 10 years ago scooter wanted to start a label uh-huh. Sonic Star Records. He yeah. called me. He's like, bro, I want to start a label. And I had a couple of my own labels. So he knew I know how to do it. And he's like, I want you to be a partner. I want you to start it with me. I want you to help me run it, help me find distribution. So I did. I got on the phone. I got him a distribution deal with Universal. I put the whole thing together. And then when it was done, he said, well, bro, I don't need you. I can do this myself. And fuck me. And that was the end of me and Scooter. So again, it's like, I have no ill will towards the band. I love the band. I, I, you know, It doesn't really affect the music. But Again, I'm not really a fan of the guy anymore. Again, just people get big and their heads get fucking big and fuck you. You know what I mean? It's like, I love your band. I work with, you know, again, but that's just the kind of stuff that, so again, you can talk all the shit you want about cold. And again, I don't really, but, but again, so you can air that. You can not air that. But, but again, that's, (laughs) that's an exclusive right there. Cause I've literally never said that out loud. I've never said Uh it publicly, but, but again, it was a long time ago. It was water under the bridge. I really don't. And the label failed and they didn't really do anything. So whatever. But again, it's still, you know, you work hard. I don't ask for much, man. You know, I just want the respect and the courtesy of, you know, and the appreciation for the things I do. And when you work as hard as, you know, we all do doing the things we do. Yeah. That's all you want. You know what I mean? For somebody to just go after you. It's really easy after you do everything. Somebody go, well, I don't need you. I can do this. Like, yeah, douchebag, because I already did it. <laughs> See, I knew it. You you called it, Jenny. You were right all See? along. All right. See? Yes. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you. Those were incredible stories and Thank insights. And I, I've Thank never you. been on a new metal podcast before. So, look. I can just spew about the shit for hours. Cause nobody ever asked me about this. I'm gonna talk about David Ellison and Megadeth and EMP and all the shit we're doing now. Like nobody has ever, other than Toomey, we talk about it a little bit when I'm in his show. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've never anybody sit me down to go. Let's talk about new metal for an hour, for 15 <laughs> minutes slash an hour. You know, so. Hey man, you are welcome back anytime. Cause yeah, that's all we do every week. We talk about a different new metal album and just dive in and and it's. Uh, we're living the dream. So, no Tom, end of that. Thank you so much um, for uh, spending time with us, for your stories, for your insight. Awesome. Um, and uh, you're promoting the uh, EMP Label Group. EMP Label Group. We, have, we own Combat Records. We have Ellison Coffee Company. And we have a lot of stuff, man. We got a lot of, you know, I manage David and it's got all his stuff outside of Megadeth. And we, we do a lot. Man. We do a lot. All right. Well, thank you so much. Well, thank you, guys. Thank, thank you. you. Awesome. All right. Thanks. Holy, Holy shit. shit. Holy shit. What a surprise. Wow. We got in a cornucopia of new metal. That was a true... Honestly, when I called him New Metal Force Come, I was not wrong. <laughs> no. He is in the picture. He's there. He's. I love it. I'm in the counterfeit video. 
I'm in the Angels MVP. That man was a dream. He was, he was wonderful. Yeah, I and I don't. Yeah, he just like all those. I loved how excited he was to talk about new metal. Yeah, he's like, it was. I feel good that we gave him an opportunity. Yeah, like he was. He seemed like he like like he said. He was like, finally, finally. I've been waiting to tell these stories. Well, you had said that before we came to uh, Rock and Pod that we are an outlier and being here seeing all these kiss booths and you know yeah let i love it yeah and at the same time if you're going around and you're talking about kiss 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 new metal it's going to be like oh right oh shit yeah, yeah. let's talk about new metal yeah, yeah. baby yeah. so um wow I'm soaking that in. I, I sat there like a child at a fucking campfire. He was just, I mean, yeah, just he was just going and giving us just so many. I mean, he was there for all of it. He's literally somebody who'd just be like, we'd be talking. I feel like moving forward, we'd be talking about some album. We'd be like, I wonder where Tom was with this record. Was he in the studio? Yeah. Was, you know? And I loved that when I when we started talking about Coles, he was like, you know what? I'm just going to say it. I'm just going to tell you oh, the story. Oh, shit. Fuck I've... that guy. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, my God. See, it worked out, Jenny. It did. Well, I felt like don't tell somebody who has a hand tattoo of something that I don't like it. He seems if like I don't the, he know seems, it, I could say, I, I feel like with the, the amount of tattoos that he has, that also, um, that a lot of the tattoos are like, yeah, sure, I'll get this tattoo. But they're not like um, an emotional attachment that maybe somebody I, else might have. I agree. I would just prefer to, like, get to know somebody before I'm like, hey, this thing that you, that you have on, on your, your body <laughs> sucks. I mean, but he didn't. He firmly came out at the end. He is not a member of the Cold Army. That is true. Oh, man. What a dream. Well, what a dream. We should try to talk to him again someday. Absolutely. We absolutely should. Yeah. Well, when we do, what was it, flipped? Uh, switched. Switched. Boy. Boy. My brain is gone, guys. Uh, I mean, he was throwing so many. Like, I'm going to be going through the edit, like, writing down things for sure. Um, but when we do switch, we should reach out to him and be like, we did it. Yeah, I think so. Oh, man. Uh, that was awesome. I'm uh, I'm just sort of like, like you said, I'm just sort of soaking that all in. Like, that's... What do we got next? Anybody? Or was he our last one? No, he isn't. Our last, um, our official last one is Kenny Olsen at 440. Who's next, though? That's Kenny Olsen at 4.40. Oh. Okay, yeah. so we've got a minute. Yeah, and then um, and then at what time is it now? I didn't even 4.20. 4.20. We'll be back with more Roach Coach after yes. that. <laughs> uh, so, all right, we'll just start it up. And, uh, and you're from the homeland. Too. We are. Yes, yes. we are. <laughs> Uh, so we are here with Kenny Olson. Uh, Kenny, you are. We are all fellow Detroiters here, yes. hanging out together here in Nashville. Um, and uh, you're, I mean, known for many things. Obviously, your big claim to fame is you were part of the uh, Twister Broad Trucker Band yep. with Kid Rock. Um, quite an incredible run. I want to say congratulations. It was twenty, the twentieth anniversary. Yep, just 20th this past weekend. Of, uh, Double without a cause. cause. And I, I want to ask you. That is one of, this is like not hyperbole, one of the biggest albums of all time. Yep. How does it feel as a person 
as a musician to be part of something that was that big in the zeitgeist where you knew, like you knew you could go into a random person's car and find your work there. It was, I mean, it was, it was pretty awesome. I mean, I didn't, I mean, we pretty much went in the studio and just wrote that record as we did it. Mm -hmm. you know, so it wasn't like, uh, and when, they, when we first signed to Atlantic, I remember they, Jason Flom said, I'm going to make this record as big as Appetite for Destruction. I was like, okay. <laughs> probably, say that, probably say that to all the people who signed, you know. But, you know, he, it was pretty amazing. I really, um, if someone would have told me, you know, going into making the record that that was going to happen with it, I would have been like, mm -hmm. sure, sure. <laughs> well, there's this guy in your world. I want to have what you're smoking. <laughs> but, you know, especially because it was funny when we first started doing a record, the label had showed up to see what progress we had made. And we went out and got a hot tub and put it in the middle of this people's studio. It wasn't even our studio. <laughs> so, they show up to hear songs. They want to hear what we got done so far. We would like, nothing. <laughs> Just a bunch of strippers in a hot tub. That's, so that's this what hot we came all the way to New York to see. So the hot tub, the the blowing bubbles in the hot tub line yep. that appears in that album, that's just like you're just like this is what happened and we're now reflecting this. Yeah, it was um, You know what? That might have had something to do with that. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> I mean, I understand that you being there probably didn't occur to you, but like, as yeah. a person listening to the album, just being like, yeah. that's a really specific thing yeah, to I, say. So, yeah, I mean, shock, shock value was a, a big uh, benefit. You know, uh, you know, that's we had a lot of that. And yeah. Was, you know, to be honest, it was so we kept it real. We we're, you know, we weren't out there trying to be in any way. I mean, even musically, they said, you know, you, what are you guys? You can't, what genre we even talk about with this record? We're like, we're going to put all the fine seasons in it and whatever comes out is going to come out. And and what's cool with, you know, especially in the original band, you know, the original Twisted Brown Trucker band, we kind of, that was one of the gifts that we had was that whatever genre we went to, it still sounded like us. Yeah. And, and so we could go from you know, like only God knows why to, to all the way to the fall with the ball extreme, you know, and, mm -hmm. and everything in between. So something yeah. that we, geez, Louise, we're killing it in this room today. Uh, but something that we always talk about, because there was two things that happened in the Detroit area. It was you guys and ICP, yeah. the fucking hustle. We, I try to explain people. I'm like, you don't understand. It was every week i worked in record stores jenny worked in record stores like people don't get it like how hard you guys were busting yeah it was it, we but that's that beautiful that's what you know us people in detroit we have that uh work detroit work hustle thing but that's why you look at all these there's so many legendary people that you know that people don't even know are from detroit that are yeah you know came from there and that's you know they found their way wherever else in the world, but it's that, you know, that, I don't know. I mean, there's, there's no place like home. No. I'm very, I'm very proud to be, uh, you know, born and raised on Woodward Avenue. 
So you said that I, maybe it was before we started recording, but you'd mentioned that you went to see Seduce and Motorhead. Yeah. What other bands were you like coming up on when you were in Detroit? Like, what was, what was, what like roped you in to music in Detroit? Well, you know, I was pretty blessed because my parents were, um, you know, they liked music and they had cool records around the house and were young enough to even as old as I am, which is old, but uh, <laughs> my uh, parents were, you know, still part of that whole 60s, you know, generation thing where they, yeah. so, you know, we had, there was Hendrix albums and stuff. I mean, there was cool stuff for me to gravitate to. And then growing up, obviously, like we all did in Motown, we got Motown, you got Detroit Rock City. So, yeah. you know, I was influenced by so much going on locally from the MC5 to the Stooges to to Alice Cooper, the Temptations, the Seeger, the, you know, the whole Funkadel. I mean, it's Detroit, we you know, we get funky, we're gro groovy, and we, we rock hard, you know. It's like, it's, <laughs> right. you know, it's, and it's one of those places where, you know, Detroit's still, you know, to this day, one of the best concert, you know. Yeah. But you know how yeah. we are if we don't like something there. Oh, God. Oh, yeah. God. I mean, oh my God. Yeah. It's people, like, yeah, people you're, you from get like, sawed from the, yeah. the, you know, lawn seat people are like making the sod, making all the way up to the stage <laughs> and in their face. Yeah, that's very true. That's very true. There goes a flying bottle. Ooh. <laughs> yeah, they, uh, but Detroit's always, you know, it's just an amazing city. And everybody, I got, you know, so many friends I've met from all over the place that just so much look forward to coming there. But nothing, you know, like, you know, you look at, you know, even like here in Nashville, it's like they, you know, and, I, and just in general, a lot of places. I'm not trying. There's a lot of talent here, but there's so much um, fabricated stuff here where they just yeah. there were like they would have never made it through the showcasing. You know, even part of their career, even to get to where they were successful, if they did, if you weren't real and had yeah. something unique. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you were just up there playing some bullshit and just you know, like yeah. you know, there was the uh, yeah, there was no room for. No, any, uh, you can't fucking BS. fake it. It just doesn't work. Yeah, absolutely not. You got, you got to bring your A game. You might even have to smash one of your favorite guitars. It requires <laughs> it in the name of rock. <laughs> a little sacrifice at the altar. Yeah, the sacrifice. So, when I think about, I mean, I don't know. When I think about like the the kind of music you play, or, like the kind of music that like the Twisted Brown Trucker Band played, if I heard that right now, I don't know that I would say. That's that's new metal. So I feel like perhaps when that was released was like maybe it was part of like getting lumped in with the genre. Did you have any feelings about that at the time or do you have any feelings about that now? I mean as far as like what our genre, what we were labeled kind of as? Yeah, yeah. So you always kind of seem to put you and Limp Biscuit and Corn and yeah. all of them in the same package. Which we did a lot of touring with those. You know, those were two bands that we spent a lot of long time on the road with too but i mean um i don't know because we were definitely different you know yeah. but, and we were and that was the cool thing as a lead guitar player for me to be able to just pretty much whether it's something funky or acid rock or spaghetti western whatever you know <laughs> we were going to find a place yeah. for it and, yeah and make it work but a lot of it's in the simplicity too 
you know, a lot of people get too complicated about stuff, and it's more about playing to a song, and and there's most of the music is in that space between the notes, the, oh. you know. Okay. So we, um, you know, we, we kept things a lot, you know, it's not, they're not like rocket science, you know, pieces, you know, you know, musically, you know, it's not, you know, it's not, um, it's kind of funny when I see like the transcriptions and stuff of like the sheet music of stuff I've written and stuff, I'm like, oh, is that what that looks like written? <laughs> Well, I, I, I think about um, a song that I'm sure you've played a million times in your life, Bawa to Ba. Yeah. I mean, such like, I mean, that's like so big and, for lack of a better word, awesome. Yeah, and, I mean, it's one of those, like, dissect the creative process. But, like, when that hit you when you came up with it, were you just sort of like, oh, this is a crusher. This is, we got something here. Yeah, it was, um, yeah, because it kind of, uh, in the beginning, we were just throwing around different riffs and stuff like that, and even, um, but then with the whole Sugar Hill Gang chant thing in there, mm -hmm. it just yep. like, it definitely, um, and we, and it's like more, we had like a, I mean, I came in with this droning like E mm -hmm. thing with this little flat five to make it all eerie, but then you got, as if you really hear the ball with the ball thing, the way it was, as a hip hop thing, it was all happy. Oh. And the music behind, so we, I, I created like this really dark, yeah, eerie thing behind it, where you have this like happy chant that people used. It was like this whole hip hop thing, and it was like this <laughs> <laughs> eeriness going on underneath. And so it was, uh, and then all of a sudden it just came in with that, you know. It, was, we, it we, is a song that, like, even today, if it were to come on the speakers, yeah. I'm like, oh, are we going? Is yeah. it time? It's time to get up. All right. Yeah. <laughs> and we had, we layered a lot of. Uh, I mean, it's definitely that song. Definitely has some really big. You know the, the guitar tones and the the drums are just like you know we we you know we were um, pretty blessed you know like we had um, we had a good way of going about stuff with recording and everybody you know like with Al and Bob and stuff too they helped you know we didn't really um, we pretty much produced all our stuff you know we never had a, we had a producer in the beginning for a little bit and that didn't last very long. We're like, I guess we're unmanageable. <laughs> <laughs> Just let these guys figure it out themselves. Well, that was, but that, again, kind of comes back to that thing of your guys' work ethic. You're like, yeah. we already knew. I mean, Jesus, yeah. he was on Jive before that. Yeah. Before. So he was like, I know how to do this, so we're just going to do this. Yeah, Bob was always good at, you know, at, uh, you know as far as engineering skills. You know, a lot, a lot of stuff, um, you know, we just wanted to use really, you know, effed up tones that we wanted like I used a lot of even when you had all, had all these you know we were starting to get free equipment and plus we had all these badass marshals everything there but I would purposely take this little shitty amp that would, you could only leave on for 20 minutes just because we wanted those kind of songs you know like the song Devil Without a Cause the actual song like that whole funky riff thing I do in there I did it on this little small $75 amp and we wow. never, you know, that wasn't going to be, I thought when we go re record the record, we would redo the guitar. Same thing with Wasting Time. I used that same amp on the solos for that. But because, you know, you get that spontaneous, like, you know, Bob used to say, I'd tell the engineer, like, all right, let me figure out what I'm going to do here. And Bob behind my back would be like, record Kenny. Because, you know, he gets, and that's how other people I've worked with, Shaka, people like that, because she's, 
I always that was my best comment. It's so weird. That's what her producer just called <laughs> years ago. But she, uh, you know, people. I guess it's a compliment because people, you know, say just because you're not thinking about things when you approach it that way. Yeah. And uh, like only God knows why was the same kind of thing. I didn't even. That was one take. I didn't even know what I was going to do. I just, there's not one punch on any of that. You were like, just go. I was just fighting. And we were we were really going. A lot of us. Yeah, like Bob had just moved back from New York a few years to, before that, and I just moved back from L.A. And, um, you know, like several of us in the band were all legitimately going. We all had our own, you know, like we never brought drama. We weren't, none of us were drama people, but we were all going through a lot of heavy stuff when yeah. we made that record. And so there's a lot of that in there, you know, like it wasn't like life was just perfect for everything, even mm -hmm. though we had a deal, you know, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of each one of us in that record that, you know. Just, it, it was like the group. Yeah. It was, that was, uh, it was a good time period. And to have the beat signed at that time and that record come out was like the last generation of like that. You know, that's why we were so yeah. lucky because that was back when labels would sign you and give you tour support. You'd have, you know, money fronted to you to go on tour and... Nowadays, Boy, did you guys tour. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Holy shit, you guys tour. Yeah, we, we stayed out on that that first run was probably three and a half years. Wow. Yeah. We, I mean, little couple day breaks here and there, maybe go home for the holidays and have some eggnog, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but burners. Burners, always yeah. burners. Oh, you got to have burners. <laughs> if you drink burners straight out the can, you are gangster. Oh, yeah. Did you guys ever go to burners, like the factory for field trips when you were younger? Yes. Uh, Fago and burners. Oh, yeah. Hell yeah. The better made chips. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And we used to like, I mean, I remember like they'd have those little Dixie cups and you get the shot of burners yeah. and we'd like pretend like we were drinking whiskey. <laughs> like, and they get all busted. We're all wired on sugar. Like, you kids, it was only supposed to have one each. We're like over there, no, no one's looking, like, yeah, 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 slamming them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> burners. So, uh, what, are, what are you working on now? Do you have anything going on right now? Yeah, I've been. Um, well, I got uh, quite a bit of stuff going on here. Um, I'm working on a solo. It's kind of a solo record, but not. It's uh, I'm kind of a needle threading a thing where I got a lot of different um, legendary people that I'm working with on this project. And I'm, um, you know, I started doing this years ago, and I've lost a lot of you know good friends over the years that were part of this whole thing because. You know, I'm just trying to save the soul and substance of music that's been missing and yeah. just getting a lot of just good B-roll footage of the stories being told and some of these legendary people I'm working with on that. But I've been, you know, written a lot of really good stuff for that record and I'm going to be working, jumping around and doing doing the album in some different places and working oh. with some different um, just amazing people and I want to do that because, you know, I wish I would have did a lot more of this years ago before I lost some of these amazing people that would have been part of it. Cause, um, but I'm pretty blessed with the lineup of people that are going to help. So there's kind of more two records that are coming out of that because that's, that's stuff that I'm just doing on my own. And uh, also my band Seven Day Binge, we have a new record. Um, we haven't done a record in like eight years. Oh, okay. Or seven years. So we got a new record uh, coming out. Then I've also got a new band I'm doing with a uh, Steve Perkins from Jane's Addiction and uh, Norwood from Fishbone okay. and uh, Scott Page from Pink Floyd and I, we just did a show, our first show out in L.A. two weeks ago. 
So I commute out there a little bit from here, and I obviously a lot of this new record I'm going to be doing is going to be back home. So you guys are going to have to come by and uh, okay and witness and you know see some uh, the magic happening because you know yeah. like yeah. I said, Detroit is always going to be my home, and I'm probably you know even though I have a place here and I'm out in LA, I'm, I'm going to have a you know, I'm getting older, so I have to have my main yeah. place back up in the D, you know. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And it's like that's, uh, now you can't take the, what is that saying? You can't take the. Oh, the boy out of Well, they the, usually say it about a stripper. You can't right. take the strip, but, <laughs> but the same thing with being. You can take the stripper out of the club. out of Detroit, but you can't take the Detroit out of the boy. Yeah. I think is. Something like that. Something yeah. Like that. Well, Tenny, thank you so much for taking this time oh, with thank us. You. Really appreciate this, it. I, how long are you guys, you guys here all weekend? Um, yeah, uh, Matt, you're rolling out for tomorrow. I got a six-month-old at home, yeah. so oh, I got to Congratulations, boy thank or girl. You. Girl. Rosemary. Girls are easier to raise than boys. <laughs> when they're I, younger. When you're I, old when they're older, you're gonna probably want to pay a bunch of us to come over and play poker the night she goes on her first date. You know, maybe I'll bring over the gun I borrowed from you, you know. Show it to you in front of the kid, you know. Ten oh, o'clock, hey. sound good, boy. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks for that gun back, Kenny. Be careful, it's loaded. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah that, I've got uh, a, I got a two and a half year old son, so yeah, yeah so I know, yeah, yeah see, I'm the got, opposite. Thing. Yeah, yeah I've, I've got, uh, I've got both, oh. but my kids are, they're a little bit older now, so, but, uh, well, yeah, they're, they're awesome though. There's not, there's not, there's nothing better than that. It's pretty amazing. But when they do get older, like what I mean, I've got, you know, my youngest is 16, my son, okay. and he's, um, he's named after me, and he's. A lot like <laughs> so when I put my parents through, you know, it's You're like son of a bitch. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, my other son, he's you know he's older. He's you know he's pretty mellow, you know. And my daughter, you know, I can't say how old my kids are because people think how right, old is Kenny. <laughs> I mean, I gotta keep this you know career mystique, going, so man. I gotta like, gotta keep that mystique rough. Make people think I'm way younger than I am. <laughs> I start saying my kids' age, and uh, yeah. people start doing the math. Yeah. So, are you? So you're in Nashville right now? Yeah, I've been um, down here ten years, but I'm I'm back home a lot. You know, I'm um, especially what's coming up right now with the making of this record and everything. Yeah. Because we're uh, we're gonna be doing some of it in Detroit. I gotta go over um, some of it. We're doing in L.A. Some of it we're doing in Memphis here. And I'm even going to be going over to Toronto to do some stuff too. Oh, where are you recording at? Because Eddie, you know, Eddie Kramer did all the Hendrix and yeah, stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Eddie, he's up in Toronto now, so I've got to bug him about coming up there with uh, some of the guys. And like, buddy, his, let me in. It's time. Yeah, well, he's he's. We did some really cool stuff in the Hendrix when I was doing those Hendrix tours and stuff, and he did my band of Flask, that record, which I haven't even. Um, you know, we kind of. You know, the singer had left the band. It's a great album. We did it right after I quit Kid Rock. And we're actually going to, there's a bunch of that old stuff that we're going to be releasing now because it's, you know, it's timeless. It's, you know, we, you know, nothing I'm going to change about it. And, uh, and the fact that Eddie did the record with me, you know, it's like, it's, uh, when you got the man who twisted the knobs behind Hendrix and Zeppelin and all the that stuff. The stamp is there. You're like, yeah. It's like, there's no, uh, it's, he did some really, really cool stuff with the guitar work and stuff that I just, uh, like, Even though the band's not together anymore, I'm like, we got to put it out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, 
Well, that. how can people get in contact with you or find your stuff? Or well, everything's you know I've got the you know pretty much the social media things, Kenny Olson, uh, all dot com, and then all that stuff will be popping up on it. Okay, so so it, it'll uh, it'll get out there. You know that whole that whole social media world is newer to me. I, I didn't even get in with the modern world until I got an iPhone. Okay, right? okay. I mean, I, I actually emailed someone for my my daughter, and she like said, "Are you trying to give me a heart attack? I'm too young." <laughs> she's like, "Dad, you did Dad. it." I did. She's the first because she always make fun of me. I remember I got her first computer stuff, and I would just sit there with one finger like. You know, and my kids, like, they get them something electronic like that. I don't need any help assembling any of this or anything. Don't. I'm like, what? They're like, you just stick to your tube amps and your guitar chords and your studio. Uh, well, like, Kenny, thank you so much for spending thank some time you for with having us. Me. Really appreciate, appreciate it. it. And yes. uh, have a great rest of your weekend. Yes. Well, maybe we'll, uh, we'll go off the radio here. We'll talk about a plan of action. Uh, guys, hi. Um, uh, my name is Lauren, and my best friend is Kenny Olson. <laughs> I am now apparently part of Kenny Olson's family. Yes. How cool is Kenny Olson? How he, I underestimated how sweet everybody we talked to was going to be. <laughs> Josh Toomey has joined us here, walking by. Uh, hi, Josh. So we are uh, best friends with Kenny Olson now. I know, right? We <laughs> are. Jenny is going to hang out with him tomorrow. It's he not a joke. He gave me his cell phone number. He gave, he, gave yeah, us. He was all. like, do you have my cell phone number? And I was like, no, I do not. I will take it, though. <laughs> yep. So, and, you know, I mean, I'm I'm leaving tomorrow undetermined time, but right. I might be joining you. So. Yeah. I, I have nothing to do tomorrow, so if my option is to do what Kenny Olsen wants me I, to do. I love everyone was like, hey, here are all these things you can do, Jenny. And you're like, listen, I'm not doing any of those because uh, I'm hanging out with Kenny Olsen. So. <laughs> you may remember him from the Twisted Brown Trucker Band. You know, uh, Devil's Out of Cause, the bar, the 10 million diggy sold. Diggy. Yep. He uh, went platinum seven times. I mean, seven, but then they did platinum three more. Yeah. And, then, and then one more after that because it went diamond. Yeah, that, that's what I said. Three, three plus seven. I thought you said two. Nope, I said three. But it's okay. I All thought right. you. Were, I thought you were trying to say it was Stop 11 million. Stop trying to do math. Oh, I'm sorry. That we shouldn't do that's it. That's me. That's you. That's all me. Jenny, seven plus three. Ten. All right. That's the new metal new math. New metal math. math. The Juggalo Hundo. Juggalo Hundo. Oh, should we break oh, it? Oh, should here? we break the news? Shit, are we going to? Uh, no. Actually, do I get to be a part of the breaking the news? If you want to be. If you want to be. Do you know what the news is? In the four Could corners you? of the earth, unearthed and unknown by man, there lay dormant. A, a, what do they call the cards? Joker cards. A joker card. A card no one had seen or knew about. The Juggalo Hundo card. And it is now to its full summation as the Juggalo Hundo has been released upon the world and it is fulfilled because we have reached 100 iTunes reviews. Thank you, Australia, for coming through. <laughs> 11 people in Australia were like, 
You know what? We've been sitting on this one. Yep. It's time. So, yeah. So, we have 100 iTunes reviews totaling around the world. Thank, as a fan of the show, thank goodness. <laughs> oh, wait. Are you, you don't want to hear us talk about it every single week? Every week? Actually, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Jenny? Yeah. What about it? How much is that? Uh, I think, actually, hold on. Let me look. I have a bag with pebbles. It's going to take a second. Um, I want to say our total is 106. It's about that. Yep. Yeah, it's 106, Damn. including. So we are over. We will be recording the Juggalo Hundo. We I are see. working out the details together at Nashville Rock and Pop. We're figuring it out because we know the only way to do it properly is we've got to all be in the same room. Because yeah. we got to be together. Because so Matt be. will be... Oh, that's right. I'm going to be in full makeup. Right. Jenny? In a hockey jersey. Jenny, you're going to be in a hoodie. I'm going to be in a hoodie. Matt. I mean, uh, Lauren, whatever your name is. I'm Well, wow. you have a physical copy of the album. I have I will, a physical copy of all of the albums. I have our good friend. I mean, really the person who has helped us a lot in the lead up to the Jungle Hondo, Bob Wick. Uh, that's right. He's the one who gave Jenny the physical copy of the album. He came up to me, but a few weeks ago. Like, literally, I'm driving out of a parking lot, and he goes, stop! And he runs up to my car, I roll the window down, and he throws in an ICP shirt into my car. <laughs> so I will be clad in ICP garb when we record the Juggalo Hundo. How are we going to do it? We don't know yet. We're figuring it out. That's right. We might come to your house and do it on your front lawn. We don't know. Will we do it with the utmost respect? Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. We will do it in a way that the family will know that I'm a nut and hole, but that I'm trying my fucking best. That's right. That's all we ask. That's all that. The, the, that's all that the. You know. That's all the family wants. That's all they want. That's all jugglers want. You uh, know, I'm actually kind of bummed out because we are at the Nashville Rock and Pod Expo, and you know what I'm looking at right now is a live stage, and you know what would have been great on that live stage would be Matt in a hoodie <laughs> and Jenny with face paint <laughs> and Lauren with a t-shirt. With a Can t-shirt. you imagine a crowd less interested in us talking about ICP? Because you know I, what I, I can, but <laughs> not very many. Well, maybe if you had the face paint on for at least a millisecond, they would think you guys were a trivializing kiss. This then, is that true. is but then true. Be like, ah, they would have been key. like, they really fucked up that kiss face. That doesn't up. look right. They, that does not look yeah. like. Uh, it's Peter almost Kirk. as if a dark carnival has entered. <laughs> yeah. And uh, well, someone uh, someone handed us a thing at some point that said something about the gathering, and I literally was like, "Ooh, the gathering!" But it was not at all ICP related. Um, which is where where I'm at in my life, where I see the gathering and go, "Ooh." <laughs> well, why not? Do I need to make a few phone calls and see if we can do this live at the gathering? <laughs> you know what? I don't think that's safe enough. Yeah, I <laughs> don't necessarily want us to have batteries thrown at us yeah. while we do this podcast. <laughs> yeah. So, but I mean, no, we are, yeah, we're going to figure it out. It's going to happen. And um, what will probably, what you'll probably is now we're done talking about, I mean, still leave us iTunes reviews. Oh, 100%. Keep leaving us iTunes reviews. But uh, you won't hear us talk about that so much anymore, but you'll probably hear us talk about, we're figuring it out. We're figuring out the logistics. Yep, we'll yep. probably have a few episodes of that. Sure. And then one day, you're going to wake up, you're going to refresh your podcast grabber, and there it'll be. 
there you have it. That is the end of part two of Roach Coach at the Rockin' Pod Expo 2 in Nashville, Tennessee. A big thank you uh, to Rockin' Pod for having us out. Thank you to uh, Chris Siznak for having us. Uh, thank you to Tracy for doing all the scheduling of the interviews uh, and getting everyone over to us um, promptly and on time. You are a saint, and we thank you. And uh, we also thank every single one of our guests who sat down with us and shared their stories um ribald and otherwise uh we appreciate all of them and thank you for listening so much uh please visit roachcoach.com for everything roach coach every single episode you can find it there um leave us an a review on itunes the juggalo hundo as you heard has ended but we still love those reviews keep on leaving them um and uh, of course say hello on facebook twitter and all the social media we'll be back next week with a brand new app a new album to consider for the canon it's a special one i'm sure you're gonna enjoy it i hope you enjoyed this and uh thank you for listening and have a good one bye-bye